My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. I want to welcome you to church this morning. It's been a pleasure to uh, worship God and see these babies committed to the Lord. And we're going to take time now uh, to study God's word. As a church, we believe that scripture is inspired by God and it helps us to see and to know Jesus more and more in greater and clearly ways. And so our hope is as we look at this is that this is going to help all of us come to know Jesus more. Now, as a teacher in middle school for a number of years, and one thing I learned there was that when students, when people who are learning something are active in their learning, they retain far more of what they are taught. That we can easily drift into kind of being passive and just let things go over our heads. But I believe the word of God is too important. And I believe God has too much to encourage you with today for us to kind of just lean back. I want to encourage you to lean forward. And I want to encourage you to open your Bible, whether that's a paper Bible or on your phone. Uh, If you need a Bible, if you look in the chairs in the seat rack underneath the chairs in front of you, you can find a Bible there. Uh, And I'm going to read, we're going to be in that pew Bible, the one that you have in your chair. We're going to be on page 843. For everyone else, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And the context of what we're reading is the disciples of Jesus are just now returning from the mission trip that he sent them out on. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near, to to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And now they're coming back to Jesus and they're going to talk about what happened on this mission trip. That's the backstory. We studied the mission trip in February. Now we're looking at this passage of scripture and he said this, verse 17, the 72 returned. That's those that had been sent out. They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Notice all the themes about joy as we read this. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. There's so much here in this section of scripture, so much uh, meat there that we could feast on, but probably uh, as you're reading through there, some, some themes stuck out to you. We saw the theme of joy being repeated in there, but another thing that stands out uh, that I want us to focus in on today is the opening part of that text where the disciples come back and they're talking about demons submitting to them. And then Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Then he said, I've given you authority, disciples, to overcome the power 
of the evil one to overcome the power of the enemy. He references scorpions and snakes in there. Those are biblical symbols for demonic power. The application of this text is not for you to go in your yard and see a rattlesnake and go over and try and step on it. Quoted that scripture. No, he's talking, it's, it's spiritual forces of evil. And Jesus said, I've given you power over those, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice and that your name is written in heaven, that you're known by God and you know God. That's where your true joy is to be found. Now, I want to know, are there any puzzle fans in here? Any puzzle fans? We've got a few? Okay, a few more in this service. 11 o'clock, you guys are a lively service, a puzzle-loving service. Um, I'm, I just play my cards. I'm not the biggest puzzle fan. My wife and I, we have four kids, and with the younger ones, I don't mind the puzzles. I don't mind the 30-piece Jake and the Neverland Pirate puzzle. I don't mind the wooden puzzle where you match the fruit to its slot you know, that the one-year-olds do. I, I don't mind that. Uh, <clears throat> when, when, they, when they escalate to things like this, this thousand-piece puzzle, my wife and my son, they love them. She, she just loves them. My son, my oldest son loves them. They'll, they'll, they'll look at this and they're like, oh, all the pieces to put together and the hours that we can spend on making this beautiful picture and it'll be all over our kitchen table for weeks on end as they joyfully work on this never-ending puzzle. For me, on the other hand, I think if I were to write Dante's Inferno, big puzzles like this would be one of the layers of hell. I, I hate them. I can think of a few things worse than to be forced to work a huge puzzle of a Christmas carol or the state of Texas. I do not like them, Sam I am. <clears throat> What I've heard, though, and I think this is really important, is that without a, a working biblical knowledge of demonic power, of Satan, uh, of evil spirits, the things that Jesus referenced right here in our text, without a, a biblical knowledge and a working understanding of what does that mean and how does that relate to the story of Scripture, I've heard it said that it's like you're trying to work a 300-piece puzzle but you only have 200 pieces. It's like you're trying to work a 300-piece puzzle, but you only have 200 pieces. If you ever worked a large puzzle, you realize probably your biggest fear is getting to the end and there being that one or two pieces that are somehow missing. So you can never fully wrap it up. I'm not saying that we're missing one or two pieces, but without a biblical understanding of this kind of unseen spiritual realm, I'm saying we're missing a hundred of the 300 pieces, a third, a third is missing. Think about it. If you were trying to put together a puzzle and you're only missing one or two pieces, you can still see this wonderful Christmas scene. But if we were missing a third of the pieces, it would be very hard for you to know what was going on or even to enjoy what was going on. Huge gaps. And so it's important for us if we desire to understand who Jesus is, and what his work in our lives means. And if we want to understand the story of scripture, it's important for us to have a working biblical understanding of an unseen realm of spiritual beings, angels, demons, and that sort of thing. And this is so important to understanding who Jesus is, that John the beloved, John the disciple, John the one that was with Jesus when he said these words in Luke 10, that was the one that when Jesus was on the cross, 
Jesus gave his mother to John. He said, John, take care of my mom. That, G- that John, who was with Jesus like that, as an older man, he wrote 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Son of Man, or Son of God, appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So here John, the one who was with him, who knew Jesus so closely, said the reason that he appeared, the reason that God himself incarnated amongst us, put skin on, came to our earth, was to destroy the works of the devil. So it's central to our own understanding of who Jesus is and what he is about. But I realize as we come to the scripture today, we come from a wide variety of backgrounds. When I start to talk about demons, evil spirits, the devil, uh, let's, let's name a few backgrounds that people are coming with today. Maybe you're coming and you're like, you know what? I've never really even thought about that. I'm kind of a blank slate. I don't know what a biblical perspective is. I don't know kind of what we're referencing. That might be you, and I'm hoping that you're going to be able to learn today. Others of us, we may come and we may not understand what scripture teaches, but we've been discipled by pop culture. We've been discipled by various types of movies and TV shows. I know for myself, uh, this was the primary method of discipleship for me as a, as a non-believer and young believer related to the demonic was what I'd seen in horror movies like The Exorcist or the Freddy Krueger movies or those type of things. That was my entire framework. In, a, in a Esquire magazine recently, they said over the last two years, there's been a resurgence among TV and media focused, TV and movies focused on dark and demonic powers, right? And so you may come and your, your formation may be almost entirely what pop culture, how our culture has defined these terms. Others of us, you may grew up in a church that when you came to texts like this, Either it was allegorized in kind of a poetry, or it's like, we don't know what to do with that, so we're just going to move on and not talk about it. And so now when we start to talk about it, you're like, ooh, is this even okay to, to, to go there? And then others of us come from churches that had a central emphasis on angels and demons and spiritual warfare and the like. And that was a negative experience for us. It seemed like it was the focus of everything. And so we're like, oh, I'm trying to get away from just that kind of centrality of focus on spiritual warfare. So I realize you're coming reticent today. And here's my hope for all of us, regardless of where you're coming today. My hope is as we study this is that you're going to come to know Jesus in a greater way that you're going to see him more clearly. And that out of that seeing him is not just to amass knowledge that you might go on Jeopardy and beat that guy who's on that incredible win streak because now you know the Jesus category and you know the Bible category of angel and demons. That's not the point. I do want you to know things, but I want that knowledge to inspire you to worship. That as you see Jesus, it would move you to savor him in greater ways. That your relationship with God would be strengthened and built through our study together. My second hope for you is that you would find greater freedom in Christ. That you would experience greater freedom. That as we sang, whom the sun sets free, 
is free indeed. My prayer for us as a church is that we would experience greater levels of that freedom as we study this over the coming weeks. And third, my hope for all of us is that we would be equipped, not just for our own lives, but because I believe the Lord wants to work through you, as we said in our declaration, to see others who have been stranded by sin rescued to life and liberty in Christ, that some of what you're going to learn is not just for you, but it's for someone you're going to meet or someone in your world right now that's going through some things that needs the power of God to deliver them from the works of the devil. So we're not just here for ourselves, but we're here for all the people that God would want us to impact the way he'd want his spirit to work through us to be his people here in our city. So those are my hopes. We're gonna be studying this over a couple weeks because it's just a lot to digest a lot to go into. And the title of today's message is How Big Is Your Puzzle? And that's the big idea that I want you to take away today is I want you to think about if, if you know, a 300-piece puzzle is kind of, I've got a, a great understanding of Scripture and a great understanding of Jesus, and I, I understand a working biblical knowledge of angels and demons and spirits and all that stuff, maybe you have 300 pieces. I don't imagine any of us are there. I want you to think about how big is your puzzle. And I hope that as we go through this, a few puzzle pieces will be added as you begin to paint a greater picture in your own life of who Jesus is. So some background, just interesting facts on Americans and our spiritual beliefs. Uh, 68% of Americans believe that angels and demons are active in the world. That's about 7 out of 10 Americans believe that angels and demons are active in our world. 20%, and this is across religions, uh, 20% say they have had an encounter with an angel or a devil, an angel or a demon, 20%. Wow. Researchers found uh, that 55% of Americans believe in guardian angels, and this is a phenomenon that crosses religions as well as regional and educational lines. There are many opinions on what angels were, right? These guardian angels, many thought they were deceased loved ones who were now watching over us. I imagine you've heard that before or maybe believe that. Over 40% believe that someone can be possessed by an evil spirit. So 40% of Americans believe that someone can be possessed by a demonic spirit, by an evil spirit. And like I said, there's been a resurgence in movies and TV shows centered around these topics. So I want to offer you uh, a few thoughts on this, because I realize that though we may have a belief in this, I'm sure there's some of us in the room that are saying, you know, it's 2019. Like, isn't that what people a long time ago believed, like kind of superstitions, and now we know that the reason that your door creaked in the night was not an evil spirit creaking it, but your foundation in your house is shifting, unfortunately, because you live in Texas, and you just need to call the foundation company, not blame the demon that is moving your door, right? I, you know, you might just be there. I want to offer you five reasons why in 2019, rational, reasonable people would believe in a spiritual worldview uh, with an unseen realm and angels and demons and the like. Number one is the testimony of Jesus. First reason, the testimony of Jesus. As we read in the scripture today, Jesus here is speaking 
about the devil and speaking about demonic spirits. This is the way that Jesus sees the world. This is the way that Jesus saw the world. And I, for one, and I imagine you're here, most of us are here because we believe that Jesus' view on reality is not just a view or a perspective amongst many, but it is truth. It is the way our world truly is. And if it's his testimony and we're his people, then it only makes sense for it to be our testimony or our way of looking at the world around us. Second reason, the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of of scripture. It's not just here in this passage of text in this gospel where Jesus is speaking about demons and demonic powers. It's actually throughout scripture, Old and New Testament alike speak of this. Let me read you one from the apostle Paul, the great theologian talking about this type of worldview. He said this, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So scripture testifies to the world being this way. Third testimony is the testimony of history, the testimony of human history. If you've traveled the world or you've studied other cultures or you've studied history, you see one of the common belief frameworks of mankind is that we have always believed in a spiritual world that accompanies our physical world in some way. Across cultures, across kingdoms, across eras, across generations, You can travel around the world today or a thousand years ago and find many of the people of the earth who see the world in this way. And when you think about it, how in the world do all these different people across time and history agree on this one thing, that there is a spiritual reality at work in our world? The number of people who are pure materialists who believe it's just what you see is what you get is very, very small when you look at the overarching story of human history. Even in our world today, the number of people who are pure materialists, very, very, very small. So you have to think about, why why is that? Why would so many people see the world in this way? Testimony number four is the testimony of philosophy. The testimony of philosophy. Andrew Del Banco is a professor at the University of Columbia, a Harvard grad, And he uh, is not, that I know of, a Christian, a believer, but he's writing about America and American history and ideas and philosophy. And he wrote a book called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. And as a philosopher, he was trying to work through how we as Americans have lost that sense of something being evil. And he wrote this, he said, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. Get that. The visibility of evil and the resources, the intellectual resources to be able to cope with it. Right? Everywhere we go, you look on any news station, you're going to hear of some heinous act of evil at work in our world. 
And he's saying, though evil is visible, we have lost the intellectual resources to adequately address the world as we know it, as we have moved away from the death of Satan and a spiritual world like that. He said, the repertoire of evil has never been richer, yet never have our responses been so weak. So a testimony of philosophy is that we need this intellectual category of evil and a demonic realm and of the devil to make sense of the evil that we see in our world. Fifth testimony is the testimony of science. The testimony of science. This is a quote from Dr. Scott Peck, who's a best-selling author and a psychiatrist, and he's talking about his experience as a practicing psychiatrist and what he encountered. He became a Christian later in life. To my understanding, these experiences were not when he was of that belief. And he said this, as a hard-headed scientist, which I assume myself to be, I can explain 95% of what went on in these two cases, talking about two specific cases he was working, by traditional psychiatric dynamics. Again, 95% I can explain, but I am left with a critical 5% I cannot explain in such ways. I am left with the supernatural, or better yet, the subnatural. When the demonic finally spoke in one case, an expression appeared on the patient's face that could be described only as satanic. It was an incredibly contemptuous grin of utter hostile malevolence. I spent many hours before a mirror trying to imitate it without the slightest success. I have seen that expression only one other time in my life for a few fleeting seconds on the face of the other patient. So he's describing in his practice, encountering these subnatural forces of evil, a hard-headed scientist. So we see why it's reasonable for you and I to maintain this belief. And as I said, I hope over the coming weeks, I want to ask you to come back and journey with us, is to help us all begin to understand what does scripture mean when it speaks of demons? What does scripture mean when it speaks of Satan? What does scripture mean when it speaks of evil powers and powers and principalities? We're going to go through um, all of that. I want to ask you, I'd love your questions as we go through this. I want to kind of build this series based off what the needs are. And so if you would do me a favor and you would think about what's something that you want to know, a question that you have, perspective that you have, and text it in or email it in. I'd love to use this to kind of help guide our study over the coming weeks. Now, as we go back to our text, I want to point out that we see that the disciples have gone out and they have encountered demons as they went on their mission trip. We're going to read about one of these stories, uh, not while they were out on this mission trip, but a story in Luke 8 of Jesus being with his disciples and encountering someone who was oppressed by the demonic. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. Uh, you see a second layer here, though, in verse, 9, in verse 18. Jesus speaks of Satan falling like lightning from heaven. So now he's not talking about kind of a ground-level interpersonal interaction, not like what we read with Scott Peck or what we see in Luke chapter 8, but he's talking about kind of a, a higher level, a heavenly battle. And we're going to look, well, what does that mean and who is the devil? And then he comes back to saying that, that in Christ, we've been given power 
over demons. Spirits submit to us, but that that is not our place to put our joy. That our, we have victory in Christ, but our joy, he points out, is not in that. Our joy is to be found in that we are known by God and that where our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so I want to point out that as we go through this, we're not going to just have this obsessive focus on this darkness. It's important for us to realize this. It's important for us to understand this. I said we need it for our puzzle, right? But it's not to be our focus. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis where he says this uh, in uh, the Screwtape Letters. He said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe, and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors, and they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So what's he saying? He's saying you can err on either side. You can err on the side of materialism, and it's just what you see is what you get, and the devil's really happy about that. Or you can err on the side of being over-focused on it and obsessed on it. The devil's happy because your eyes are on him and not on Jesus, right? And we want to, like Jesus points us, to put our eyes on heaven, to put our eyes on Jesus and let him be the center of our focus and then learn from him as we watch him destroy the works of the devil. Last thing that I want to say in this, in this opening kind of study of of. Uh, of an unseen realm, is I want to talk about, well, what do demons do? What do demons do? Because I find this is another big hindrance as we kind of start wading into these waters. Uh, One of my kids, my oldest child, when she was little, there was no wading in her life. If she was near a pool, she was going to run and plunge headlong into the pool. Uh, my, My second child, he was not going to plunge headlong. He was going to wade, tiptoe into the water. He was terrified of it. We're going at a tiptoe pace in these waters because I know that there's so much confusion around this. And I want to point out, what do demons do? Growing up, my understanding of what demons do was the exorcist. They make your head spin around. You know, they make crazy things happen in your house. They give you, you know, uh, nighttime terror, terror dreams that can kill you. That's what I thought. I want to take you through scripture for a few moments as we, as we wrap up to point out what what we actually see in Scripture, the demonic powers doing. Because I think this is helpful for us to think about how this interacts with our world. Number one is deceit. Deceit. I would argue that lying and deception is the primary strategy of Satan in our world. Right? We see it in the opening pages of Scripture. Satan comes to Adam and Eve, and he deceives them about who God is and who they are and what the good life is. He deceives them. And we're going to look uh, next week, we're going to study where Jesus flat out says this is the strategy of the enemy and that Jesus has come to bring truth. Now, I don't know a person alive who likes to be deceived. No one likes to be deceived, let alone deceived by a demonic power. And yet what we see throughout scripture is that we as humans are so prone to this type of deception. So we're going to learn how Jesus destroys the works of the enemy by bringing truth to lies. We see a second way that they work in Luke 4, which we studied, was that demonic powers bring disruption and harassment. Jesus is ministering, and there's demonic powers at work that are disrupting and harassing what he's trying to do. 
Uh, when we were on a training school, discipleship school mission trip to Uganda several years ago, uh, we met this guy named Joseph, and we shared Christ with him. He became a believer. He began to follow Jesus. It was awesome. But he told us, he said, hey, I have these recurring, harassing dreams where in the dream, these evil men come out and they beat me with sticks and with clubs. And it happens over and over and over again. He grew up in a part of Uganda that had been ravaged by civil war. So growing up as a child, it was a very violent environment. And he had these tormenting or harassing dreams. We were able to pray with him. He came the next day and he was like, the dreams are gone. In the dream, the, the men came and then all of a sudden I felt the presence of God. And I looked and I had a Bible in my hands and when I opened the scripture, the men fled. Wow, that's harassment and the son of God appearing to destroy the, the works of the enemy. Uh, Luke chapter four also points out that sickness can have demonic power behind it. Now, this is not to say every sickness does. I like Tylenol or Advil or whatever when you have a headache. Take some medicine, go to the doctor. But what we're saying is we're missing what Jesus is saying, what Scripture presents to us if we don't have a category of seeing some sickness as being demonically energized or inspired. I remember on the first mission trip that I went on, we went to Juarez, Mexico. And we were on an outreach there, and we were sharing the gospel, and there was an older woman there who had cataracts over her eyes. Her eyes were just foggy. She could barely see these very thick cataracts. And there was a team that was sharing Christ with her and praying for her to be healed. And as they were praying for her to be healed of these cataracts, someone on the team felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask her a question about her daughter. Now, we didn't know this woman. We hadn't been around her. We didn't have a relationship with her. But they asked her, What's, tell us about your daughter. Do you have a daughter? What's your relationship with her? And the woman said, oh, yes, but our relationship is estranged. It's broken. She did this deal. I've not forgiven her for it. I don't like her. Our relationship is broken, and it's just ruptured. And the person that was ministering to her thought of Ephesians chapter 5, where it said, don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest the devil gain a foothold. And they said, well, I think that the Lord would want you to forgive your daughter as Christ has forgiven you. So I said, okay, and this seems unconnected at this point to the cataracts. It seems like the Spirit has taken, the Holy Spirit has taken this in a different direction. But the woman, this old woman, prays, confesses to the Lord that she's been bitter against her daughter, has unforgiveness, forgives her daughter, and then all of a sudden, I'm there. I'm like, I'm watching this. This is my first mission trip. It's very, um, honestly, frightening to me. I was like, oh my goodness. The cataracts on her eyes fall away. What was foggy becomes clear. And this old woman gets up, starts running around where we were in this city park, yelling, glory adios, glory adios, glory to God, glory adios. She stops a bus going by, public transportation, gets onto the bus, grabs the, you know, the walkie-talkie or the megaphone that the driver has, and starts testifying to the bus of what God had just done in her life. I was, Wow. I mean, that was way outside my limited worldview of the Exorcist movie. I was like, this is amazing. It was the Son of God appearing to destroy the works of the devil. As she, as she forgave her daughter, there was healing power that was released. That was a sickness with a demonic assignment to it. Mm. Uh, temptation. 
Luke 4 tells us about that the demons can tempt us, can try and tempt us away from God's purposes and God's plans. I can't tell you how many guys that I've worked with that are coming out of a sexually promiscuous lifestyle and who are trying to follow Jesus and trying to bring this area of their life under the lordship of Jesus. And while they're trying to do that, they begin to have one unsolicited opportunity after another, after another, after another to go back to their old ways. It was startling. I'm like, this does not happen to normal people. This does not happen to everyday people. This does not happen like I, if you talk to 100 people, what you're describing, the amount of unsolicited random situations that you get in where people are trying to take you down a wrong road, it's, this is out of the norm. And you realize as we talked and as we prayed that because of what they were working through and what they were trying to come out of, the enemy was bringing unusual temptation at unusual frequency, trying to bring them back to their old way of life. If you're in here and you're being bombarded by temptation, I want you to know the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil and to set you free. In Luke chapter 8, we see that these demons work to promote hiddenness and isolation. There's a man that is oppressed by a demon, and the fruit of that is it drives him away from his family it drives him away from his community. It drives him away from his people and it isolates him. It takes him out in the wilderness. He's hidden. He's isolated. He's cut off. He's alone. That's one of the things that the demonic does in our lives. We're made for a relationship with God. We're made for a relationship with one another. And the enemy comes in and he tries to rupture that and he tries to break that. And there's so much shame and there's so much isolation in our world. And I'm telling you, it's not just a natural choice of, oh, I'm an introvert. I want to be alone. I love introverts. I'm married to one. This is something very different where it's just like, I've got to be alone because I'm not worthy. I cannot be in a healthy relationship. I'm unworthy. I need to be off. I'm full of shame. We see that's the work of the enemy, and the Son of God has appeared to destroy the works of the enemy, to bring people back into relationship with God, to bring people back into relationship with their community, healthy relationships. In that same story, we see that the demonic works to empower destructive behavior, to empower destructive behavior. So there's demonic power out of these things that this guy is doing. And he's like so strong. He's supernaturally strong. And you can see that we're going to look at it in a couple of weeks that it's energized by the demonic. And Jesus comes and he sets him free. And if you're in here and you're struggling with an addiction, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider if there might be forces of darkness at work against you, fighting against you. And Jesus wants to set you free. 2 Timothy chapter 1 tells us that there's a spirit of fear. If you deal with irrational fear, overwhelming fear that comes out of nowhere, I want you to know that this God did not give you a spirit of fear. In Christ, he's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. And there are people in our church that are going to be set free from overwhelming fear as we study God's word. Uh, number eight, they hinder missions. So the Apostle Paul is talking about advancing God's kingdom, going into a new territory. He says, this is what we wanted to do, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. 
I want you as you're stepping into whatever God's called you to do to have, have power to break through the hindrance of Satan. And then Revelation chapter 12 tells us that the enemy brings accusation. The enemy brings accusation. And I'll close with this story. Um, when in our training school, our discipleship school, we do a freedom weekend where we talk about all this stuff and how God sets us free. And there's a testimony that was shared of a, of a girl who, as an adult, had overwhelming fear and anxiety about being around people. She just felt like every group she walked into, she felt so insecure, she felt so nervous, she felt so anxious, and she just kind of been this way her whole life and didn't know why. And in a prayer ministry, she remembered a, a scene from her childhood when she was a young girl, three or four or five, can't remember how old. And in the scene, she walked into a room that her parents and her aunts and uncles were in. And when she walked in, everyone got quiet. The conversation stopped and everyone clammed up. And that little girl in that moment, realized, or that grown woman now, realized as a little girl, she took in a thought in that moment that she wasn't worthy to be around people, that she didn't fit in, that everywhere she went, she was an outsider because she felt like her family had shut down in that moment. And that little thought, that little accusation, right, had blossomed as a preteen and as a teenager and now as a young woman, and it was bearing negative fruit in her life. And as they were praying about this, she felt led to ask her parents about this memory. And so she went to them, she said, you know this deal that happened when I was a kid? And they said, oh, honey, you don't remember. Uh, we threw you a surprise party the next day. And we were planning your surprise party when you walked in. That's the reason everyone got quiet. And so rather than her being isolated, her family was trying to celebrate her, right? And the enemy had come in with an accusation. I just wonder how many of us, even as adults, we're carrying these accusations that we haven't known are lies. And the Son of God wants to appear in your life and speak truth to lies that you could walk as the child of God that he has made you to be. Okay, with that, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close today by setting our eyes on Jesus. And over the coming weeks, we'll be studying this more in depth, so I invite you to come back next week. But as we set our eyes on Jesus, we're going to do that by worshiping and taking communion together. The officiants are going to come forward, and they're going to have the bread and the cup. And you can come forward as the worship team leads us and take of the elements and then return to your seat. And then when you're ready, I want you to remember what Jesus has done on your behalf. I want you to remember the cross. I want you to remember the resurrection. What we talked about last week and we celebrate every Sunday. And remember that we're gonna sing a song about battles and it's in him that we fight our battles, that he has come to fight on our behalf. And then in Christ, we have power over the demonic in our lives and in the lives of others. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're like, I don't even know that I'm in Christ. When you're talking about that, I don't know Jesus. I wanna give you an opportunity to receive Christ today and to invite him into your life and to let him begin to transform you and set you free. So um, if I could just get everyone to bow their heads for a moment. If that's you and you don't know Jesus and you're here and you're like, I want to know Jesus. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, never said, I want you to be my king, I want to give you an opportunity in just a minute to raise your hand. But I know in Dallas we have another type of, of person that comes, they grew up in the church, 
And then something happened, they fell away from the church, they fell away from the Lord. And you might be here today and you're trying to make your way back to God. And I want you to know, God is not standing off waiting for you to get your act together, but he's running down the road. He wants you to be a part of his family. He's welcoming you in and our church welcomes you in. And I wanna give you an opportunity to recommit your life to Christ today. So if that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, just we have a moment of prayer. If you'd raise your hand, I just wanna just pray with you. If you'd raise your hand, if that's you, if you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, or you wanna recommit your life to him, just raise your hand. All right, I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer. If you had your hand up or you're just here today that we can all pray together. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you appeared to destroy the works of the devil in my life, in my family, in my city, and in the nations of the earth. I receive your life again today. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I want to invite you to come forward when you're ready to celebrate communion.
on your name. surrounded but I'm surrounded by you it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you oh it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you Jesus it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battle. Like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. 